It's a great performance by Rich Bopit at the beginning of that little sequence, isn't it? I feel like he probably should take off and fly as he's just walking towards the end. It kind of has got that crescendo build up to it. I want it to be like, I believe I can fly, and then he does it in, in a just wave of well-being. Um, this morning, I'm going to continue our series um, that we've been looking at over the last two weeks, and we're going to be continuing over the next five, um, considering this whole topic of well-being. It's a word that perhaps we hear quite a lot around at the moment because increasingly people are finding themselves stretched and seeing that life is taking its toll and losing a sense of well-being. Um, And we want to take Jesus' promise seriously when he says that he came that we might have life and life to the full, which means relationship with God, the forgiveness of sins, And actually, a healthy mind and heart and body and soul relationships to know what it is emotionally and mentally and physically and relationally and spiritually to have a sense of well-being. And those things we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks. But the first thing I want to make sure is clear is that they're not discrete, separate items that function um, disconnectedly from one another. They're all interwoven. And so actually, uh, part of the complexity of our humanity is that mental well-being will affect our physical well-being. I've seen that many, many times as a doctor. And our spiritual and our emotional well-being. So it's all interwoven in one. And so um, this series is to be taken as a whole. And um, these are different things for us to cultivate in life again and again. Now, in Oasis, we love the Bible. Oftentimes at this moment, we look at a passage in the Bible and we just work through it and explain what does this tell us about Jesus. I'm going to do something slightly differently today. It's kind of more of a seminar than a preach as we're going to look at a number of different scriptures and look at how does that apply to what we know and understand about the importance of our minds. And our minds are a beautiful thing. Our minds are beautiful. So much potential within the human mind for innovation and creativity and discovery. Our minds are also very complex. They're they're influenced by nature and nurture. Lots of neurophysiology and pathways in our brain that can affect our mind, but also an environment that can affect our mind too. Sometimes there are things that Uh, we're exposed to that we have no control over and sometimes it's choices that we make which can affect our mind it's complex and minds can also be fragile some of the greatest minds through history have also been some of the real fragile minds Isaac Newton a great physicist and mathematician had bipolar affective disorder with with mania and at times depression Beethoven incredible composer, um, suffered with depression. Winston Churchill talked about the black dog of depression that followed him around, and this was a courageous warrior. And Abraham Lincoln, great U.S. president who brought in the abolition of slavery, struggled with anxiety and depression. Sometimes talking about being collapsed with melancholy. So... Minds, no matter how great they are, can be fragile. And Christians suffer from this too. Christians suffer from this too. Some of the great influences on my life, like Charles Spurgeon or John Piper, Randy Orcorn, will be just a few of many who would testify to seasons of struggling with a sense of mental well-being, depression. Um, Martin Luther, 
500 years ago, God revealed to him the truth of the gospel that we're justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. And it transformed Europe. And yet throughout his life, Luther struggled with anxiety, depression, fear, doubt. And God used him mightily. Just look at King David in the Bible. A man after God's own heart. It's written in scripture. A man familiar with episodes of depression and stress and fear. Read the Psalms, you see that. Psalm 13, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Every day have sorrow in my heart. So mental anguish is something that the scriptures are familiar with. And throughout the Psalms, we see that spoken of many, many times. And I'm not going to specifically address um, mental illness today. I'm going to look more at kind of broad ways of thinking that affect all of us and how we can cultivate a sense of well-being in our mind. But there are a few things I do want to say about mental health problems just to start with. And that is to say that I know there will be some people in the room for whom that's, a real, that's, a, that's, a, that's an absolute reality that you live with or have lived with. And I want to say loud and clear, Jesus does not condemn you for that any more than he would condemn you for having a broken bone or a common cold. There's no shame in it. There's no shame. It's not something to be hidden away. He wouldn't want you to run from him to, in shame, but to come to him for healing and grace and comfort. And the church is to be a place where that is not hidden away in shame, but where the broken and the needy, of which I count myself in that number, find a home, find restoration. And so if you are in a dark place, you need to know that there will be a temptation for you to hide yourself away and to isolate because everything feels lonely and dark. But you must not do that. You must come amongst a community where you are loved and you are accepted, where you belong. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 compares the church to a body. It says, when one part suffers, every part suffers with it. We rejoice together, we suffer together, we bring each other to Jesus, the healer, the comforter. It's also important to say loud and clear that God's comfort and healing will commonly come through the expertise of healthcare professionals, psychologists, doctors, nurses. We as believers, of course, pray and expect that God will bring moments of breakthrough and the miraculous. But James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Healthcare is a good gift, a gift from God. So, as with physical illness, so with mental illness, we're invited to come to God expecting comfort and healing, but we're not invited to dictate the terms upon which that healing and comfort will come. Sometimes it will be through healthcare professionals. We all of us have different pressure points. It's just true, isn't it? All of us have weaknesses. In 2 Corinthians 12, we hear the Apostle Paul talking about a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what that is. It doesn't tell us, uh, and this was the specific thorn. And that's God's grace to us, because it will be different from one person to the next. But what we know is a thorn in the flesh is not very pleasant. Okay, It's painful. And Paul wanted it gone. But Jesus says to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So it's Paul, Paul's response is, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. <coughs> so 
I read a blog this week from Randy Alcorn, who, on commenting on this, said, it seems that my job is not to supply the power but the weakness. That is one job I'm good at. (laughs) It's God's job to supply the power. That resonates with me. Uh, It's nearly a year now since I took some time off work with burnout. What that looked like for me was a mind in overdrive, kind of obsessively thinking through things and trying to cover all the bases. Is everyone going to be okay? Are all the patients going to be okay? And I just couldn't let anything go. And 12 months on, I'm still recovering. It's not that it's all better. It's this slow process of gradually renewing my mind. And some days it feels easier than other days. It's my weakness. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. I'm going to boast in it because my boast is not in me. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I'll stand because I've found all other ground is sinking sand. Sinking sand. And so we look at our mind today. It says in Romans 12.2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a wonderful invitation. Be transformed by the process of the renewing of your mind. Truth is, we live in the reality of our thoughts, don't we? We live in the reality of our thoughts. On on a Friday, I look after Anna, my four-year-old, and Ivy, my two-year-old, and often we go to Kings Heath Park and we play a bear hunt. And as we do that, Ivy genuinely believes that around every tree there might be a bear in Kings Heath Park. You know, I'm quite good at this game. So, so every, every bush, every tree, she's like, a bear. She's actually, sometimes it's gone a bit too far. <laughs> and she's kind of almost shaking, just scared, and running away and screaming and living in the reality of her thoughts. She thinks there might be a bear around the corner. Why don't, you just, why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Just imagine living in the reality of these thoughts. See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. How about this one? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. How about this? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How about this one? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If we live in these truths, if we allow them to shape our thinking and to transform our mind, then the reality we'll live in will be very different to the one that we often do. And the problem is not reality. The problem is what we're thinking upon and allowing to dictate what is real. Because let me tell you, there are no bears in Kings Heath Park. And so Ivy just needs to get, as it were, a reality check to start matching up her thoughts with what's real. So we're going to look at today some common ways of thinking that all of us might fall into or be vulnerable to. And this is not just about avoiding ill health or returning from below par to a baseline. No, life to the full. 
And so there's research in the field of positive psychology that's demonstrated that positive thinking and emotions result in improved concentration, more creativity, problem solving, memory improvement, increased life expectancy, increased income, better relationships, better exam results. All sorts of things as a result of the way that we think. And so this is about flourishing. And so your mind is really important. What I'd like us to do is to start by looking at some thinking flaws that we have. And I, I'm going to be mostly taking that from this book. Normally in Oasis, we say if it's good enough to recommend, it's good enough to give away, but I'm not going to give this away <laughs> because I didn't get my act together. Sorry, uh, you, you can heckle and boo me for that. It, over the coming weeks, we'll give this away. This is a book from, uh, by David Murray called The Happy Christian. And it's looking at what influences on our minds and our emotions um, are we often exposed to, both negative and positive, and how can we get a balance in favor of positives so that we live in truth. It's a really helpful book. And in it, David Murray um, identifies 10 common ways of thinking which are often harmful to us and habits that we can fall into. And there are many that he says he's um, often finds himself thinking in. And actually... I think I think some of those too, and I've added a few more in, on top. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to put some, we can, on the screen, it's going to come a number of different categories of thinking, habits that you may or may not thought, fall into. I want you to ask yourself, which ones am I most prone to? And I want you to write down, either on your phone or on a bit of paper, the top three, the three that you think, you know, this is me. Okay? So the first, black and white thinking. It's the type that says, I'm not as slim as other people, therefore I'm ugly. What makes you make that conclusion? How come, why have you joined those dots? It's black and white thinking, it's a completely false conclusion. Or thought goes through my mind, I'm not sure if God is really there, therefore maybe I'm not a Christian. Wrong conclusion. And these black and white extreme conclusions can trap our thinking and threaten our well-being in a world that's multicolored, not black and white. So first one, black and white thinking. Second one, generalizing. This is um, where a single experience is taken to mean a universal truth. For example, I take a penalty at Monday Night Football, I miss, I make the conclusion, I should never take penalties again because I'm rubbish at them. Wrong conclusion. I'm very good at penalties. That was a one-off. It was a glitch in the matrix. Um, generalizing. <coughs> Uh, third way of thinking, filtering. This is when you pick out only the negative elements of a particular experience, completely disregarding the good, the positive. Who, who's good at that? I'm quite good at that. So after my PACES exam, which was a, the final exam to become a member of the Royal College of Physicians, um, I had to examine nine different patients and give the diagnosis and the management plan. And I'd studied really hard for this exam, and I, I did it, and then on the way home, the exam was in Swansea. So from Swansea to Birmingham, I thought about all the things that could have gone slightly better that I didn't do right, that I was disappointed about. And by the end, I was convinced I'd completely flunked the exam. And um, for three weeks until the exam results came out, I kind of beat myself up about it. And then I passed. Yeah? And so what a waste of three weeks. <laughs> because I'd been filtering all of the negatives rather than the positives. We can be prone to do that. It can be a track that can really undermine our sense of mental well-being. Transforming. This is when you turn a positive experience into a negative one. Your wife tells you you look handsome. You think she's after something. 
or your boss calls you. That's never been my experience. <laughs> it's never been my experience. Um, or your boss calls you for a meeting uh, in a few days' time and you think, oh, I'm in trouble, when maybe he wants to say, you've just done a really good job recently. So transforming. Or you read a, a promise in the Bible and immediately you're encouraged by it and then pretty soon you say, but maybe that's not really for me. Transforming. Uh, mind reading. I wonder if any of you do this. Like you send a text to someone and they don't reply for a while and you think they don't care. They're ignoring me. Um, no one really likes me. When all the time they just left their phone at home, they didn't have it on them. Mind reading. I know what you think of me. How about future telling? Any of you good at that? I, I'll never get this job, therefore there's no point in applying. Or... Uh, my friend will never come to Alpha, so I'm just not going to invite them. Or this girl will never go out with me, so I'm not going to ask her. And the, the thing is about that type of future telling is that it has a nasty habit of becoming a self-fulfilling thing. I'm grateful to God that after a number of years, I plucked up the courage to ask out the girl who I thought was well out of my league. And behold, she's my wife. Exactly. God has a future that's uh, better than often we can ever imagine. So I'll let him tell me the future. I'm not going to do that. Comparing. This is a very common one. It's the thought that says your value and security is measured by how you compare to the person next to you. Um, so you think, I could never be as holy or happy or gifted as them, and therefore I'm just thoroughly deflated. Or, mm, actually, I measure up quite well against this person to my left. And therefore, I'm feeling good about myself at this moment in time. If, if your track is always comparing, your value is measured by someone else, then all the time you're going to flip and float from pride and dis to despair. Whereas actually, if your value was determined by what God eternally says to you, bearing in mind not a jot of his word can be removed, and if you believe that, then you can love people and celebrate their successes and encourage them in their weaknesses and know that actually it doesn't, doesn't change who you are at all because you're defined by what he says of you. Comparing, perfecting. Any perfectionists in the room? I'm a bit like that. You feel you have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Um, everything has to be just so. And if it's not, then somehow some disaster may befall you and you often fear making a mistake. It's a common tread of thinking which can really undermine your sense of mental well-being. How about personalizing? Number nine. Uh, when something great happens, it must be down to me. When something bad happens, it must be down to me. I've got a friend who's good at this at Monday Night Football. Um, whenever a goal is scored, he always thinks it's down to his contribution. So he'll say, I made this little dummy run which opened up the space for the pass to be put through to the player who then scores. And I'm like, you had nothing to do with this goal. <laughs> Kind of personalize it. And, or, or I've got another friend who will assume that any time a patient in hospital takes a turn for the worst, it's because they missed something. Personalizing. And so it, you make the world about you, and therefore you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders because of your way of thinking. How about ruminating? This has been something I've struggled with um, when you're always living with your head in the past. It's really good to sometimes reflect upon events to see what can I learn from this and how can that help me as I move forward to do things slightly differently. But if you always live with your head in the past, picking over a decision you've made, a process you came to, a motive you had, 
then you, you actually miss the very present because you're always in the past and it kind of incapacitates you. Life passes you by. Ruminating can be dangerous for our mental health if we're forever doing it. Translating. Um, this is number 11. Translating is the kind of grass is always greener type thing. <laughs> it would be much better for me if I was in another job or if I was in another part of the country or if I was in another relationship. Then everything would be sorted. Kind of grass is always greener. And then oftentimes when you get to that greener patch, you look at a further greener patch somewhere else. The sense that actually... Um, I just I need to be somewhere where it's perfect and different to where it is, and then all my troubles would go away. And then finally, twelve catastrophizing. You read into every situation the worst possible scenario. There's this episode in Friends where Rachel's getting on the plane, and Phoebe has called her and said, apparently the the, the plane's not got a phalange, and there is no such thing as a phalange on planes. Um, and then Rachel says, no, I'm sure it's got a phalange. And then someone says, so what was your friend talking to you about? She said, oh, the plane's apparently not got a phalange. And then the bloke was like, the plane's not got a phalange? And catastrophized the situation entirely to make it feel like everyone is about to crash in this plane because it's not got a very important part called a phalange. And as a result, everyone had to exit the plane. If you haven't watched Friends, maybe, you know, have a watch. Um, <laughs> catastrophizing. I think we can be prone to do that. Reading into the worst case scenario. There you go. Those are 12 different, there are more, common threads of thinking which if they become habitual can really undermine your sense of mental well-being. What I'd like you to do is just to think, which of those am I most prone to? And just write them down. Give you a moment to do that. And then what I'd like you to do is to tell the person next to you which ones they are. Or behind you or in front of you if you're not. Just tell them which ones are you most prone to. And what you'll find is that we're all prone to all sorts of different ones of these. So this is about breaking some of the habit itself by communicating it to someone. Right, should we, um, let's come back together. Heard lots of different people saying lots of different trains of thoughts are ones that they're more susceptible to. All of us will be susceptible, I'm sure, to some of them. Question is, having identified them, how do you begin to change a track of thought so that you don't keep going down that route? And I think the a helpful analogy for this is to, to look at tracks which are in a, a, a dirt road created by tractors. Look at that. You know, we have certain patterns of thinking which were fairly well established, and it's like they've created tracks like like the, the tires of a tractor. If a, if a tractor's going down that particular road, the same tire every day, then it naturally falls into the groove and you just go along, you go along, you go along. It becomes this kind of default way of thinking. If you put a different vehicle with different tires on, then it starts to feel really, really bumpy and uncomfortable because it's used to a very different track on that road. Similarly, our, our thoughts will often go down a particular route where we where we tend towards thinking, whether that's perfectionism, whether it's catastrophizing, whatever it might be. And changing that track feels bumpy to start with. 
It feels like you're putting new tires over a dirt track and it's uncomfortable when it's bumpy and it feels unnatural and you think, like, oh, I'm not sure about this. And it just takes continual decision. Time often helps with other people to say, I'm going to make a new track here and allow my mind to be renewed and I know it will transform me as I speak truth over things which actually are just lies which can trap us. And so that is what it looks like to start to change some of these ways of thinking. It doesn't often, I mean, God can do anything. He can, he can deliver people like that. Totally believe that. Oftentimes, this is a process of time and discipline and needing help from others. So I think a helpful thing for us to be doing is to recognize, communicate, challenge, and change. Challenge and choose, rather. Recognize, that's what we've just done. What are the patterns of thinking that I often fall into? Just become a bit self-aware. Communicate, that's what most of you have just done. Tell someone about it. Actually, we can't change ourselves through grit and, and determination. God changes us, and he often uses our brothers and sisters as a, as a means by which that happens within the process. So we recognize, we communicate, we challenge. Ephesians 4.15 talks about speaking the truth with love. I know that there are certain habits of thinking that I get into and I need to externalize those and communicate them to someone so that they can speak the truth over me with love and challenge that way of thinking, saying, how does this measure up to what God says? What you, why do you think that way? And then choose. This is an important part of it. You can do the... And I'm, I, I know from experience you can do the recognizing, communicating, challenging, and then still choose to go down the other dirt track, the old ruts, because it feels so bumpy going the other way. But choosing is to say, okay, I've got a decision now. I'm either going to believe this habitual way of thinking that has just become a bit deep-rooted, or I'm going to choose truth based on what God has said. I'm going to open up the scriptures, and I'm going to choose to believe him, bumpy, 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 and not that. And then as we continue to choose over time, it becomes a more natural way of thinking, and we gravitate towards it. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. This was an important verse for me last year, 12 months ago, when I was recovering from um, my experience. Bill Johnson says that strongholds, when you think of them a bit like fortresses, like castles, where an enemy can hide out and then spring forward from to take some more ground. It's like an enemy castle. He said, and Johnson suggests there are certain patterns of thinking, habits that the enemy can hide out in and then take ground to steal peace or confidence. So demolishing strongholds is about identifying patterns of thinking which are not in keeping with truth and demolishing them. That's not a kind of pretty word, is it? Being ruthless with them. And oftentimes those ways of thinking where the enemy hides out have precisely this effect, to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, above the knowledge of God. They'll oftentimes elevate yourself in your thinking so that you become bigger in your consciousness than the knowledge of God. Perfectionism, I have to get this right, I have to dot the I's, I have to cross the T's. Rather than being able to rest in a God who has it all. Or comparing. My value is based on how I measure up against this person next to me rather than the truth of what God has said over me. 
they, it, it will exalt those things over the knowledge of God. We need to be on our guard against it. Don't let mists and illusions and untruths exalt themselves against the knowledge of God because it will ruin your sense of well-being. Instead, we need to be taking thoughts captive and helping each other within that. That, that verse in Ephesians 4.15 was talking about how we can be tossed around back and forth. And it can feel like that in your mind. And so you need someone to come and speak the truth with love to stop you getting tossed around and to help to create some new tracks and to demolish some strongholds. So to your perfectionism, taking that thought captive and making it in obedience with Christ is saying, Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb. He gave himself up for me. He has said, it is finished. I choose to believe him, not my perfectionism that says there's more for me to do. That's a happy salvation to live in. So one of rest. Excessive ruminating. Well, to take that thought captive, I'm going to declare, no, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I can give my past to him. To the catastrophizing, declare Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. So even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Speak to yourself, Romans eight thirty nine. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So I'm not going to catastrophize this situation because I know the truth and whatever comes, he is with me and nothing can separate me from his love. Those are just some examples of what it looks like to take thoughts captive and to bring them into obedience with gospel truth of Christ and who he is. He is God. He is savior. He is king. Let us demolish strongholds together. We are a family. We are a church. We are also called an army. Put the helmet of salvation on each other. Put the shield of faith up. Put the breastplate of righteousness on. Speak truth so that we can um, stand firm and not be tracked down by false ways of thinking that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. It's important at this point to recognize that... it. This world is not just material. But we do live in a spiritual world. And so there is spiritual warfare. There's warfare that's been referenced to already in our worship today. I thought I was encouraged by that. And the Bible talks about Satan being the father of lies, the accuser. He is forever wanting to undermine your confidence to lie to you, to get you down the track of thinking because he knows you live in the reality of your thoughts and so if you think things which are untrue, then you'll live in untruth and be paralyzed from enjoying that which is true. Jesus is the truth. Enjoy him, but Satan does not want you to enjoy him. So he'll exalt things against the knowledge of God. And we uh, need to, therefore, rest in this truth that the accuser has, Revelation tells us, been hurled down forever, overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That it, it, it talks about in Corinthians that at the cross, every power and authority has been disarmed and put to public shame by Jesus, the Son of God. This is the power of the cross because every accusation that the enemy brings is based on law that you've not lived up to you are not good enough to come into the presence of God you are not righteous enough you are not able to come we know Jesus has done that for us he has completed righteousness for us Romans 3 
says this. We have the righteousness that comes from God that is by faith for all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are freely justified by his grace as a gift. And so to the accuser and the whisper of lies, we declare Jesus who has overcome him. And we need to continually do that, helping ourselves and helping each other to stand in truth and not in lies. Spurgeon says this, It is always the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite. He is constantly trying to make us look at ourselves instead of Christ. We will never find happiness by looking at our prayers or our deeds or our feelings or looking within. It is what Jesus is not what we are, that gives rest to our soul. Learn to preach Christ to yourself. I do that at the moment, if I'm honest, I'm doing that almost minute by minute. Preaching Christ to myself. That he is my light. He is my salvation. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and my Passover Lamb. He is the Son of Righteousness and my righteousness. He is the resurrection and the life in my life. He's the Prince of Peace and my peace. Speak Christ to yourself and be transformed, therefore, by the renewing of your mind that elevates him above every other thought. And finally, I just want to give us a brief structure by which we can do that. Thank you. Through Romans, through um, Philippians 4. If you've got a Bible, it's going to come from the screen. We can just put on Philippians 4, 4 to 8. Thank you. It says this. This is, I think, a blueprint for our thoughts, which can help both when they go skew-if, um, technical term, and as a kind of prophylaxis to keep our minds in a state of well-being in the first place. <coughs> Romans 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think Paul gives us a, a, a blueprint here, which we can be exercising daily. And it starts like this. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the preaching Christ to yourself. Rejoice not in your circumstances. Rejoice not in the fact that you've got a job. Rejoice not in the fact that you've um, got a really lovely home. Rejoice not in the fact of things or things which are temporary that can change. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Rejoice in the cornerstone upon which everything is built, Jesus. Rejoice in the fact that he is the bread of life and he feeds you. Rejoice in the fact that he is the beloved son of the Father and through faith you're united to him such that you too are a child of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Let that be a habit. Do that daily. Sometimes it's really great just to be singing to him because singing, when you're feeling low, singing's really hard to do, but it does something to your heart. It connects your heart to something true. So, so singing of, of all that we have in him is really important. The next thing, the Lord is near, therefore be anxious about nothing. Don't need to be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord is near. Andrew Wilson says that worry is essentially praying to yourself. I, I, I'm familiar with that. I recognize that. 
the worry that tries to sort everything out and think things through, if I just think it through again, if I just plan a bit more, if I just do this, do that, it's like you're praying to yourself, making yourself God, trying to get yourself in control. It's not to say that it's wrong to plan. No, it's really important to plan. But the type of mulling, 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 mulling is essentially just praying to yourself when, Jesus, when the Bible says, don't be anxious because the Lord is near. Good news, he's God, you're not. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. So rest in him. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We can bring all of our requests to him. There's no no no-go area. Prayer and petition, but make sure it's coloured with thanksgiving. Why is that so important? Because thanksgiving brings your attention to God rather than to the thing that you're pray asking for if you're always i want this lord it's this thing please would you break into this situation would you help me with this would you help me with that you're just fixing your eyes on the problem that you're presenting to him rather than recognizing who the giver is that wants to give you good gifts and so thanksgiving lifts your eyes to say thank you that you are a generous father thank you a good good father i'm loved by you i bring to you this situation Always colour with thanksgiving. And then finally, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord and in Christ Jesus at the end. Just keep resting in the gospel of it is finished. It is the fight of faith. It is the fight of faith. The gospel of it is finished. nothing more for us to do Jesus has done it all and given himself freely to us I will make him my treasure no nothing else and I will rest in him and from that structure we're then able to enjoy all the good things that we see in the world whatever is 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 true and noble and right whatever is lovely whatever is praiseworthy there's so many wonderful things Art and music and creation and friendships and literature. And all these things are to be enjoyed and we should think about such things. Because they will do us good. Because we can get a bit overly obsessed with bad news stories. Let's look at some good news stories. To, 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 to set a good trend in our minds. But it starts with that rejoicing in the Lord, in Christ alone, he being our anchor. I wonder, some application questions. What harmful ways of thinking are you prone to? This is a a moment in time to be able to recognize, in order to be able to communicate, I'd suggest you think about who can I tell about it, who can journey with me, in order to to allow those ways of thinking to be challenged and then to choose change. I dare you to choose change. I'm daring myself to. To choose truth over ways of thinking which are just false. Does the balance of influences on your mind need challenging? I didn't go into this at all, but you know our minds are influenced by so many things. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TV, books. What are you feeding your mind with? Are you feeding your mind with things which are good? Are you feeding your mind with things which which hit the, Rome, the Philippians 4.8 model of noble, good, praiseworthy, trustworthy? Or are you just looking at Love Island the whole time? Because it will depress you. 
Feed your mind with what is good. Be careful. What are the influences on your mind? And how will you establish that Philippians 4 model? Just think to yourself, say, how am I going to be preaching Christ to myself? And do it. And we will do it with you. We're a family. We're going to help each other. And we're going to embrace the fullness of life that God has promised us through Jesus. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray and we'll finish. Thank you that, Jesus, you have said, when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Thank you that, Holy Spirit, where you are, there is freedom. So we invite you to come now and to illuminate truth to our minds that we might enjoy the freedom of the truth. It tells us in Galatians 5, 1, that it was for freedom that we've been set free. Don't fall back into a yoke of slavery. Lord, we know we're prone to that. Lord, we want to take hold of the freedom for which you've set us free and to allow your truth to liberate our minds to enjoy the life to the full that you have for us. So we commit to one another. I commit to this family, Lord, here, to help my brothers and sisters to do that. And we commit ourselves entirely, Jesus, to you, to your truth, and to the freedom that you've promised us. We believe it. And so I pray it help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.